0: Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was originally featured as a video on the IA's YouTube channel, IA London, but we've taken the audio and we've turned it into a podcast so that you can listen on the go. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another conversation hosted by the Institute of Economic Affairs. And for this discussion, we will be focusing on Ukraine. My name is Alexander Hammond, a free trade fellow at the IEA and the director of the Initiative for African Trade and Prosperity. While my normal day to day work focuses on African trade and development, along with other things related to economic freedom and global well being, Today, I am joining you all from Poland, where I've been for the last nine days, staying in a small town just south of Krakow with my girlfriend, who is Ukrainian. We initially came here to ensure her family had somewhere safe to go after crossing the border since the recent invasion, and to also help a few other friends that we knew that needed support. However, thanks to the success of a recent fundraiser we had set up, we have managed to provide accommodation to dozens of women, children and infants and provide humanitarian aid to various people across Ukraine and Poland. While I spend a lot of my time in Ukraine, I am very slowly learning the language and sincerely love the country expert on it. However, fortunately today, I am joined by someone who is. It's a great pleasure to welcome Natalia Melnik. Natalia is the Executive Director of the Ben Kudzi Free Market Center, an independent think tank based in Kiev and that is dedicated to promoting liberty, limited and open government, and free markets. Natalia, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Natalia, you live in Kiev, but in recent days you have fled, escaped the city, and are now in Western Ukraine. Um, If you feel comfortable doing so, can you tell me about how your journey was leaving Kyiv? How long did it take? How was it? Um, Any insight would be hugely appreciated.
1: Yeah. so um, my initial plan was to uh, stay in Kyiv until we win the war. Um, My prognosis for the outcome of um, this Russian invasion is still the same, Uh, but um, I decided to spare my my family some nerves and allow them to have a better sleep or sleep at all for a short period of time. And we were advised by the army that all civilians that are not directly involved in um, assisting the army in the city, they should uh, leave the city uh, so that we don't become like an extra burden uh, or an obstacle for their operations in the city. So um, I made the choice or basically I conceded that there was no choice uh, for me to stay in Kiev and I left in um, on Sunday and uh, um, I had help because um, Basically, right now, to be able to leave Kiev and get to the Western Ukraine safely, you either need to know the uh, specific safe route, or you need um, to have a guide, a person with you that has already explored this route. So um, actually, this person uh, was driving, and he will be offering the same service to more people back in Kiev. Um, basically, the idea was that we cannot take the usual routes because they're either getting bombed right now, or, uh, you know, uh, we would need to take the bridges that are no longer in existence, because they had to be blown up. Either they had to be blown up by the Ukrainian army in order to slow down the enemy forces that were targeting Kiev, or uh, they were uh, blown up by uh, Russians themselves Hmm. so um, basically we had to take the most indirect route possible going through um tiny villages that have never seen such an influx of traffic through the roads that uh, probably um you know haven't been repaired since the second world war because they do look like they've uh, been bombed at some point of their existence uh but once again because i had the guide and because we were basically heading home, uh, because right now I'm in my hometown in western Ukraine, um, it took us 13 hours wow. the, because we were taking roads through small villages, we were able to avoid the most congested points, uh, especially at um, block posts, so right, the, the whole country um is basically littered with uh, blog posts uh, to make sure you know that um they keep an eye on uh, saboteurs you know the movement of uh, enforces and everything like that so it it became also an automatic routine within one day you know what you need to do when you are approaching a blog post you slow down you uh, turn off your headlights you turn on the light Uh, inside your car you prepare your documents you lower you know your uh, windows and you just give direct answers and then you know whatever else they they might want to know oh yeah and put your hazard lights on that's also important
0: and I think for context people at home that drive normally takes what six hours seven hours
1: yeah so if if we were to take the direct uh, route, uh, you know, mm. in peaceful time, uh, depending how willing you are to break the speed limit, yeah. six or seven hours, exactly.
0: Right. And you mentioned you're in Western Ukraine. And I think it's important for people at home um, and uh, basically across the Western world and the world to kind of realize, even though we've seen, because in the media, we've seen huge amounts of people cross the Polish the uh, Polish border, Hungarian, Moldovan, Romanian, um, across those borders, there's actually been a far greater influx into Western Ukraine. I feel, uh, and I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, that a lot of people far more than have crossed the border, far, far more than have crossed the, any border, um, are staying in the west of Ukraine. So. Firstly, why did you not cross the border? Why have millions of others not decided not to cross the border? And then how is life different in Western Ukraine compared to Kiev, Kharkiv um, and other further Eastern regions?
1: Well, so for me, it, it was never a question of leaving Ukraine because this is home and it's a home you know, at a time of need. And I feel that this is where I need to be right now to do whatever I can um and that's the same for a lot of people also a lot of them think that uh, and probably quite realistically that there is nothing waiting for them across the border right so um they might as well wait it out here right because all of us have an absolute faith in us winning the war so the, the, basically it's like they're taking one day at a time um they brought their families to uh, immediate safety, you know, where you have jets flying above you instead of um, um, rockets, right? Uh, Ukrainian jets, (laughs) I will clarify, Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of Russian rockets. And um, so they are staying in the Western Ukraine and uh, the Southwestern, right? Um, They're still quite close to the border. Um if they could, you know, if they had some friends or relatives, um, they jumped on the opportunity to leave. But once again, a lot of them, a lot of people uh, I've talked to, they're saying, we are not refugees. We are coming back. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. So this is very temporary. Um, and then um, I mean, a lot of people do not realize how big of a country Ukraine is. A yeah. lot of foreigners so it's approximately 40 million people and the fact that either about 2 million or a bit more than 2 million cross the western border it's nothing
0: yeah and can it, i just and- can i just add to that natalia I, I often shock people in the uk when i say when i'm in lviv and for those who don't know lviv is probably the biggest city in the far west when i'm in lviv it's faster for me to drive to amsterdam than it is for me to drive to Donbass, where, at least for what has been since 2014. That's just how large Ukraine is. It's fast for me to get to Amsterdam, and I think it only takes about 20, 30 minutes for me to get all the way to Calais in France than it is to go to Donbass. So that's just how big it is. But please continue. Sorry for interrupting. Uh,
1: no, it's, it's abs- it, it makes sense because, especially right now, people are spreading these um, maps. Uh, you know uh, on the social media uh, showing how big Russia is and how little Ukraine is compared to Russia it's absolutely true but you know independently uh, Ukraine is a very very big country Um, so um, the problem is we do not know how many exactly internally displaced people we have and that's it's a lot easier to count those people crossing the border, right? because this is the regulated area, even if it's a bit less regulated right now. But the movement within the country is absolutely free. Um, The volunteers are working 24 seven. The pressure on the volunteers to be helping these internally displaced people is immense. And just for you to to understand uh, the scale of all of it, just in one day, I think it was either yesterday or the day before yesterday, Lviv um, saw the arrival of 100,000 people in just one day. And in the 10 days before, they got 100,000 people. So there are more people on the move. Um, they're trying to get you know wherever they can uh, with whatever means, be it train, buses, um, cars. And um, we need to remember that there are a lot of cities and towns around Ukraine where people are trapped. So they have no way out. Just in Mariupol, uh, we have basically 300,000 civilians held hostage by Russia because they would not uh, stick to ceasefire to provide green corridors. Fortunately today, Uh, three towns close to Kiev, um, they were able to evacuate uh, but they were able to evacuate only those civilians who were able to show up to the gathering points. Uh, So there's no, um, you know, there's no access, they are under uh, the control of Russian soldiers. Um, There's no uh, possibility to reach out to people stuck in their basements. In the rubble of their own homes and not all of them know about this evacuation because there is no internet or self-service so you know ideally if we wanted to help them out properly we would be going you know house to house building to building but it's absolutely not possible right now so um it's, it's a very good thing that we are able to get at least some people out because they have been with no electricity gas heating water food and uh, medical aid um, so it, it's been a real humanitarian disaster. Just think about it in Mariupol, which has been asking for, you know, an evacuation for um, these green corridors. Uh, just the other day, a child died of dehydration. It's, a, it's just, you know, it's very difficult to imagine the situation in the 21st century in a peaceful European country. So life is very different for many cities, like in Kiev. In Kiev, the situation is under control. In Kyiv, those people who are staying, like the the ones that would panic, you know, and would get scared, they left right away. And um, the people that were staying, and me included, we were actually feeling safe because we were staying at home. Uh, We were, you know, um, staying out of the way of the territorial defense, of the military people outside. Uh, we could still go to grocery stores um of course the variety of food was uh, more limited than under normal circumstances but um we were certainly not starving there were the biggest issues were with uh, uh, milk uh, with bread and uh, um, sometimes uh, you know with fruit and vegetables but you could always find other options so we couldn't complain we had everything and people still do Um, why we're leaving is because um, Russia has uh, proved time and again that they're willing just to bomb residential areas. And we all understand that if they bomb residential areas, then uh, emergency services would be needed at those locations, you know, to uh, take apart the rubble, looking for people, dealing with uh, gas leaks and things like that so uh it's it's gonna be much easier for them if they know that uh, there are barely any people you know if if any at all
0: so uh and and i feel i mean i've had a what you said earlier about people's reluctance to leave i feel i've definitely experienced that it's certainly not the people who have left so far have certainly not done it at all lightheartedly they really don't want to go But
1: it's, a, it's like the main question is like this is my home. Why, like, why am I supposed to leave? Why should I leave? And it's not just home as a house, right, or an apartment. It's your life. So it's yeah. your unwillingness to give up the life um, that you know maybe had some uh, minor issues before <laughs> the war. But like you, you don't want to forget that you don't want to give that up and we're still are stubbornly sure that we're going to go back to that you know once we rebuild and our lives will be much much better
0: yeah absolutely um so what's been outstanding to see i think has been how ukrainians from both within the country within poland across for world have come together in this time to provide support to people. Um, and I know you'll have hundreds of examples, if not thousands, but what kind of a key, uh, key ones that stand out in your mind of the way that some peoples have come together to support others uh, outside of direct military resistance?
1: Uh, well it's a it's a very interesting question because ukrainians really tend to agree on very few things under normal circumstances we like to argue we're a democratic country you know you're allowed to have different opinions and we are allowed to discuss those things but just like in a matter of a couple of hours it was february 24th i think i will never forget this date february 24th when we People from all over Ukraine are woken up at 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. by the sounds of explosions and you just have this one thought in your head. It has begun, right? And from then on, no more arguments. Like everyone is a united front. Um, We are doing everything we can. And at the same time, we are struggling majorly with guilt. So much guilt, it's absolutely unbelievable. Like experts are saying it's normal, but it's very difficult to deal with. Like guilt that you're not doing enough. Like guilt that you're not taking up weapons and joining the army right away. Uh, You have huge lines of people trying to register either for the army, or for the territorial defense, uh, which is like the the forces that are responsible for the security within towns and and cities. Um, So that the National Guard and the army aren't spread too thin, uh, even thinner than they already are. And then now I have this extra guilt because I am in a safer place you know than a lot of other Ukrainians so at times this is just overwhelming but like the way we are communicating obviously among friends colleagues and uh we're just you know at some point after we win this after this 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 nightmare is over we will sit down we will cry for a really 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 long time you know we will deal with all of these emotions because at the same time there's a level of numbness present right now, because you can't, uh, you know, uh, take every single loss through you, you know, civilian or military loss. Not, not right now, because we, we are dealing, you know, we are coping uh, in a way, but we will be dealing with this a, a bit later. And uh, like experts are saying, like, try not to dwell on this guilt, because basically, your task number one is to survive right now because we will need people to rebuild the country and there will be a lot of rebuilding to do because russia is basically demolishing uh cities and towns all over the country um so but there's we're we all understand that we're in this together and it really does not matter where we are as ukrainians you know if we are in the u.s Uh, because we already have American citizenship, you know, or we are um, um, temporarily uh, displaced. We are told by our uh, European uh, partners and contacts that a lot of supplies are even running (laughs) out in Europe itself. So, like, we are searching all over the world. We are pushing campaigns, uh, forward campaigns, uh, you know, to keep providing us with assistance, uh, to keep providing us with a chance to defend ourselves, right? We don't want other people fighting our fights, but we need a chance to survive. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the weapons made available to us. That's why we are begging for, uh, for someone to close the sky because Russian um, air force is a a very big threat. They are the ones doing the most damage. They're the most difficult to deal with. And that's where we are overpowered. Uh, And if, if, you know, uh, we understand that the the countries are not willing to do that because they are afraid of, you know, uh, that this will be like a direct confrontation with Russia. But Putin already said that even the sanctions are like a sign of war yeah, against I can Russia. Recall. Exactly, exactly. So if, if you're not willing to do that, then mm, helping us get our hands on jets would also be like a big game changer. So it, it, like we don't want to beg, we don't want to ask, but we, we are fighting against a very big army not the smartest not the most capable but it's very very big and the their way of fighting wars has always been the same do as much damage as possible and uh it doesn't matter how many of their own people they lose while every single um person who dies um like from our side matters to us so we're just trying to minimize the losses, uh, you know, in, in whatever way possible. And, and like, the, it, just to end this question on a more, uh, I don't know, humorous note, uh, this is what the guys are joking about in Ukraine, that pre-war, because we have conscription in the country, they would bribe their way out of the army, and now they're bribing their way into the army. Because that's how everything changed. And this is, this is an amazing moment of unity for Ukrainian people. It's just too bad that it had to you know, be caused by a war. And I'm very hopeful that we will be able to bring it, you know, uh, like keep it with us uh, after we're done with the war, because we will have to be putting in a lot of work uh, afterwards.
0: So talking about that unity um, and how it will look going forward in, in the future. So in recent years, especially since the 1990s, Ukraine has become steadily more economically free. We can kind of bring it back to classical liberalism and free markets. It has become far more free. It's definitely not amongst the freest countries in the world in terms of their economy, but it's I think its economic freedom score on a scale of one to 10 from a Fraser Institute has doubled since since 1990. So after this war, and assuming Ukraine will remain a sovereign, independent democracy, what do you think will happen to this trend? Do you see it accelerating? Do you think there's um, a greater passion for individual autonomy and government get out of the way? Do you think the economic freedom will kind of stagnate, decline? Uh, Maybe the government would bring in emergency measures to limit various things, try and push for national self-sufficiency, various policies like that. What what do you think that direction will go in um, after this uh, incident?
1: Yeah, so, like, you're absolutely right. There has been um, progress. Uh, It's just that the starting point was so low (laughs) that Mm -hmm. Ukraine is still among the least economically free countries in the world. It's actually the only uh, economically unfree country in Europe. That's one of our uh, accomplishments, Uh, but the idea is that we all know uh, our weakest point and our weakest point when it comes to economic freedom is not the presence of many, many Soviet time laws, right? That's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the absence of rule of law. Um, And this is something that we've been um, working on, the civil society in Ukraine has been working on together with international partners, because a a lot like it's very difficult to expect um, the system, you know, to reform itself because it's the system that's corrupt. Um, so a lot of efforts have been targeting the corruption in the government and um, all, all the efforts uh, have been paused right now right, because we're in survival mode. Um, but all of us are gearing up to just increase the pressure after this is done. Um, to uh, finish setting up uh, the agencies that will be responsible for anti-corruption efforts. Um, Also um, to push forward the efforts to cleanse the um, judiciary in the country, um, to make sure that uh, we have the system of checks and balances because um, a lot of that is like preventing foreign investment which will matter a lot for Ukraine um, after uh, the war. And um, basically, um, I think we will be concentrating on creating favorable conditions for business in Ukraine because it, like, it, it suffered because of the pandemic, obviously, but the, it, it's nothing compared to how it's suffering now because the logistical chains are completely destroyed Um, Our ports in the southern Ukraine are completely blocked off uh, by Russia, um, or with very limited access to those ports. And um, a lot of businesses are closed because people are scared for the safety. A lot of businesses had to shut down because if they had um, male employees, those employees left to serve in the army or in the territorial defense. So they had no choice. And um, obviously because of the um, displaced people, you know, um, so it's just like, even me being in a safer um, city right now, um, most of the places that you would, you know, you would assume that they will still be open and operational, they're not. Uh, for various reasons. So um, we will have to put in a lot of thought into how we make sure that um, we, well, it's like right now, we will not be able to help them survive as much and because we are directing all of the funds into, you know, the obvious (laughs) targets, but after that, uh, we need to make it as simple as possible to um, start your business, right? To be innovative without having to deal with tons of bureaucracy and without having to bribe officials like you know, um, or suffer from uh, um, unnecessary checks or things like that. So I feel that will be important because we will need to provide people with an opportunity to work and make money
0: yeah i couldn't agree more and do you think um my penultimate question do you think ukraine will likely join the eu after all of this and would you want that that's an interesting one would you want the the ukraine to join the eu Uh,
1: so right now uh ukrainians do want that and it would be the moment of a full circle, right? Because the revolution in 2013 started because the government announced that, no, we will not be you know, going forward with the plans to join the EU, we will go the other way. And that's how everything started. So right now, the moment when Zelensky signed the documents and sent them in for Ukraine to join the EU, it was like, yes, this is, this is one of the reasons why we started all of this in 2013. It got much bigger than that, but this is about our civilizational choice that we're making. We are a European country and uh, that's why we would like to be in the EU. Uh, the thing is, this is the perfect, uh, a very painful, but this is the perfect window of opportunity uh, for the EU uh, to make this big gesture of yeah. you know allowing Ukraine in. Uh it's you know it's being made more difficult by um by Georgia and Moldova <laughs> trying to jump on the bandwagon. Um, but um you know it's they've been waiting for their opportunity for a really long time. So I guess that's understandable. Uh, but The thing is, if the EU doesn't say that, yes, we are going to allow you in, then we will never join the EU because there will never be the more appropriate and perfect moment for this. And uh, in a matter of maybe five to 10 years, uh, we will most likely not feel the need to join uh, the EU if we are able to, you know, um, keep this moment of unity because like we were asking people um, like our followers on the social media what would be the first thing you do after we win <laughs> the war and uh, most people said work the hardest in my life to rebuild uh, like go to Kharkiv, Mariupol, Volnovakha, the cities that um, have been damaged the worst Uh, just to help them uh, become better. And I think it says a lot about Ukraine, how resilient and stubborn, (laughs) that's part of it, Ukrainians are. So um, we wanted to join the EU to separate ourselves from Russia. We couldn't be further away from Russia now. We want to join NATO for security reasons uh, because of the Russian threat. But our army is showing that it's capable so if we are able to you know uh, keep um, making our army more capable more modern um, we might not necessarily need nato like uh, some ukrainians are joking uh, nato should apply <laughs> to join ukraine's alliance right now <laughs> but of course those are jokes and the humor is part of uh, our coping mechanism in the country. Um, yeah. I, I guess if we stop joking, it would mean that we've given up. Um, so, yes, joining the EU, it would be a, a really nice uh, moment for everyone. But um, you know, it's it's a lot more than that for us. Um, We are not fighting for joining NATO or fighting for joining the EU, we are fighting for our freedom and our future, and uh, for our home, and uh, I think that that is a a much stronger driver.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and with someone with a Ukrainian girlfriend, I definitely know about the resilience and stubbornness of the Ukrainian people. So <laughs> um, so final, finally, how can our viewers support you, your think tank, other freedom fighters in Ukraine? What can we do? Uh,
1: well, among the important things uh, that are like basically crucial right now is spreading the word. Um, not watching the (laughs) Russian media or not consuming um, Russian uh, fake propaganda messages uh, because I was shocked um, to see how many foreigners actually believe that because before the war I thought it was just the Russians, you know. Um, But no, it has spread all the way to Australia, you know, the United States of America, and it's very hurtful uh, to hear. Um, then um, we appreciate all the efforts but by our foreign friends of, you know, putting more pressure on their politicians, Mm -hmm. on their government, uh, demanding action, right? Um, Then, because, you know, politicians keep an eye on that. And if it's the voice of the people, um, their own people, you know, not some Ukrainians far, far away, it's a whole lot different story um then um there are plenty of you know trustworthy initiatives i know that a lot of you know you're probably getting bombarded with messages from all the media like help this organization help that organization but uh there are a number of uh, wonderful organizations if you want don't want to support the army you don't have to you can join the humanitarian medical aid efforts either by donating for example to help Ukraine Center, Um, they accept um, financial donations, or they also accept packages. So um, they post um, lists of necessities on their websites in many different languages. Um, They're updated from sources from the Ministry of Defense from the healthcare ministry. So they have the most uh, updated information and then uh, they will be responsible for Uh, bringing everything from Poland, because that's where the warehouses are, and then distributing it to, um, to those who need it the most. And um, we have quite a lot of those. And I'm very grateful to everyone accommodating our temporarily displaced people, uh, giving them, you know, a a sense of normalcy, at at least for a little bit, a little escape uh, from the nightmare back home. And, Like join in the fight together with us, like demand the the no-fly zone over Ukraine. Uh, The chances of that happening, you know, are are low, but um, we do appreciate all the support we're getting from uh, abroad. Because like in, in some moments, in the most difficult moments, it does feel like we're alone in this. Even though that's not entirely true, so um, this is the way you can you can show us support, and you know we appreciate every little donation. Um, and like most of my colleagues, um, they are abroad, so they're also you know receiving. Uh, I would actually say they're receiving more support from um, foreign volunteers than they are from. Um, our governmental structures out there. So um, I also personally am grateful that they're safe out there with their families. Um, But then, you know, we we need to bring the moment that uh, this problem is resolved because we have a lot of work to do uh, in my organization. So I need them back soon so we can get to work
0: get to work and make Ukraine uh, economically free and prosperous uh, once again. So thank you so much Natalia, that episode made me uh, laugh, I was definitely close to tears a couple of times, goosebumps once or twice, and I learned a lot from it, so I really hope the viewers at home did so too, so thank you Natalia. Um, and for those please, uh, those at home, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on social media to keep up with um, our, our latest content. And please do follow Natalia and her organization, Ben Kodizzi, uh Free Market Center, for updates on her work. And uh, you'll be able to watch along in the years to come as she single-handedly amongst, or her organization single-handedly makes Ukraine economically free again so with that thank you very much everyone goodbye
1: thank you guys